Hey guys, what's up? This is AJ from the Comeback Sports Podcast, and this is Season 3, Episode 7. We got a jam-packed field episode as usual. Today we'll be talking about some college football recaps from last week, along with some NFL recaps, including the Packers versus Lions game. And then we'll go over some predictions for NFL and college football, and I'll touch them on NBA later, so stick around. Now for your quote of the week. No man can taste the fruits of autumn while he is delighting his scent with the flowers of spring. What does that quote mean to me? <laughs> Honestly, I'm not quite sure uh, how to kind of uh, dissect this quote. I like to think it's uh, relatable because uh, we are in fall now, as you can kind of see. Well, you actually can't see from the camera, but from my window, it's cooler. Uh, some leaves are falling. The, the leaves are changing. Just kind of rereading it again. No man can taste the fruits of autumn while he's delighting his scent with the flowers of spring. Uh, it sounds like um, very similar to kind of dwelling in the past with a previous quote. Like if, it, if someone is kind of, uh, you know, pushing their attention to the flowers of a previous season being spring, they can definitely not enjoy what's going on right in front of them because they're kind of staying stuck in the past. So that's kind of my quote, my um, depiction of it. Huh, very interesting quote, though. Samuel Samuel Jackson said that. Maybe it's Samuel L. Jackson. I'll have to look more into it. Well, guys, it's good to see everybody again. It's been a great couple weeks since our last episode with Brian. Um, a lot has happened. I got to watch the Cyhawk game, and unfortunately, uh, the Cyclones lost. Um, but it's it's whatever. I mean, there's more games. It's, it was only the second game of the season. Last weekend, I went to Milwaukee, one of my favorite cities, next to, you know, good old Chicago and San Francisco, which is another top city. I went to Summerfest with my buddy Rain. It didn't go as expected due to um, some of the guys not being able to make it, including Todd. Um, shout out to Todd. Unfortunately, I you weren't there. Wish you were there. But it was fun. Um, great weather. It was like 70, 80s all weekend in the cool in the cool breeze at night definitely helped because when you're at Summerfest, you're by the lake, Lake Michigan, and it definitely makes it so re relaxing and um, refreshing. I got a lot of free beer. Um, I did a putt challenge um, at Summerfest, and if you make the putt, they give you this ticket for like front row seats to some concerts, and it includes three beers per person. So that was definitely very exciting and so rewarding because, you know, I practice a lot of putting at work. And if you guys saw one of my previous videos, um, or if you follow me on social media, you may know that uh, last August was the uh, one-year anniversary of the Comeback Sports Podcast. It's been great one year. I don't want to go and I don't want to get too sappy because I was pretty sappy in the video. But I just want to say thanks to everyone that's been sticking around and watching. If you're new, thanks for chiming in. Hopefully, you can join us for the two-year anniversary. And speaking of anniversaries, I do want to give a quick shout out to the Beer Mile Media. Beer Mile Media is a podcast that I follow on YouTube, and it's their one-year anniversary. And two guys that I went to college with and was running teammates with um, were on it. So if you guys from Beer Mile Media want to hop on the show, do a collaboration, you know where to call me. Um, so we'll have to, get, we have to make this thing happen. I'd, be, I'd really enjoy that. So let's kind of go straight into sports. I'll start with some college football recaps. Uh, starting with the Alabama at Florida game. Alabama won 31-29. to Some of the key stats we got from the Alabama side was quarterback Bryce Young threw for three TDs, 
240 yards. He was 22 for 35 in passing. Brian Robinson Jr., a running back, had 78 rushing yards, which averaged about 2.5 a carry, which is pretty impressive, along with the TD. Um, Jalen Armour Davis had an interception in that game as well. On the Florida side, Emory Jones threw no TDs and only had 195 yards. He was 18 for 28 in passing. However, on the running side of things, 245 total rushing yards. That includes Malik Davis. He had a 86 yards on only 10 carries, and that included a TD. Damian Pierce had two TDs, and the Florida defense applied some pressure too. They got six QB hurries or pressures and two sacks in that in that game. Um, they outscored Alabama in the second half, 20 points to 10 in that last half, but Al- Alabama still secured their victory by running down the clock in the final three minutes of the game. To me, that game didn't really change too much what I thought of the SEC. Um, Alabama still seems like the favorite, and they will have to watch out for Georgia still because they're still looking really great. I predict Florida will make a New Year's Six Bowl. They look super good, and it's hard to put that many points in Alabama, so i like to see what, where both these teams go. Let's go to Fresno State at UCLA. Fresno, the Fresno State Bulldogs beat the UCLA Bruins 40-37. to Very close game. Here's some stats from UCLA. Quarterback Dorian Thomas Robinson threw for three TDs, 248 yards on 14 of 24 attempts. Zach Carbonet, who's a running back I've been following very closely, who's one of my Heisman favorites going through week two, had 19 yards but two TDs in the red zone. And believe it or not, uh, Robinson was the leading rusher. He had 67 yards on 13 attempts. On the defensive side of UCLA, they had nine tackles for loss, and more than two of them came from Bo Calvert. On the Fresno State side of things, the quarterback Jake Hayner threw for two TDs, but had an interception, but he had 455 yards on 53 pass attempts, which is crazy. The rush team was probably the highlight of the in-game, 455 total rushing yards. Um, we had some magic from Jalen Cooper and Josh Kelly. They both had over 120 yards. That's crazy. UCLA had a had 20 points in the fourth quarter thanks to two fumbles. Um, they translated into two TDs because of those fumbles. But their defense couldn't stop Fresno State in the final minutes. They won thanks to a TD in the final possession. Overall, I thought it was a great game. I still think UCLA can be a contender to make the Pac-12 championship game. They'll most likely play against Oregon since they're looking really hot at the moment. But they need to beat USC first, who is in their division. And I could see Fresno State going into a three-game win streak. They will have to beat um, UNLV and Hawaii next. So we'll see how they do. And just some kind of quick shout-outs. Uh, speaking of UNLV, Iowa State played them in, in Las Vegas, and there's a lot of fan love going on there. And it's surprising because UNLV is University of Las Vegas, and there are apparently a lot of fans. Um, I'm glad to see that Brock Purdy threw three TDs and Brees Hall rushed for two. The game didn't, the game didn't really tell much for Iowa State, um, but Big 12 games start this weekend. I think the first game that Iowa State plays is against Baylor, and Baylor's a pretty good defensive team, so we'll see how they do. And then pretty much the main story of college football was the Oklahoma interception. So those of you who don't know, DJ Graham had one of the wildest interceptions in college football history. 
Adrian Martinez, the Nebraska quarterback, threw to receiver, and Graham essentially dove for it and like caught the ball sideways, and then and then tucked it in, and like it was almost like he only saw like the ball in the corner of his eye using his peripheral vision, and it was amazing. Um, Spencer Rattler in the in the sidelines was just in complete awe, and then head coach Lincoln Riley joked that he almost challenged his team's own interception due to the positioning of the ball it was it was a fourth down play and Graham caught it on the four four yard line which was a disadvantage instead of landing it on the 18 yard line but who really cares I mean Oklahoma still won that game and that catch was really impressive let's transition over to the NFL now with some recaps I got about one two I got three recaps and then I'll go into a deep dive on the Packers game I saw on Monday night Starting with the Vikings versus the Cardinals. The Cardinals, excuse me, the Vikings went to Arizona and the Cardinals won 34 to 33 thanks to a game-winning field goal that was missed by the Vikings kicker. Some key stats that we have from Arizona, Kyler Murray threw for 3 TDs. He had two picks, but a but 400 yards. He also had a rushing TD. Chase Edmonds, who's one of my running backs in fantasy, had 8 carries for 46 yards. Rondo Moore had a good rookie showing. He got 114 yards and a TD. On the Minnesota side of things, Kirk Cousin threw three TDs, each to K.J. Osborne, Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen. Dalvin Cook, the running back, rushed for 131 yards. And on the defensive side, Daniel Hunter counted for all three of the Viking sacks. Very close throughout the game. Kyler showed elite flashes of elite that he has in his veins I think he'll be a contender for the suit for the MVP he won't win it of course and it's nice to see the Vikings have some offensive pieces I mean they've always had some of these receivers and of course they've had Dalvin Cook but seemed to mesh a little bit better watching this game um, here to change things up I'm gonna like mention a few like random stats um, about this matchup so here's here are a couple um, the Cardinals have won eight of the last matchups between them and the Vikings. The Vikings have allowed 27-plus points in five straight games for the first time since the 2012-2013 season. And Kyler Murray has joined Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers um, as the only player since 1950 to have multiple career games with 400-plus passing, three TDs, one rush TD. So like I said, Kyler is showing a flashes of eliteness. Let's transition to Titans at Seahawks. All right, so the Titans won 33-30 to in overtime. Both teams punted in the possession, but Titans um, kicker Randy Bullock sealed the deal with the 36-yard field goal. On the stat side of things for the Seahawks, Russell Wilson threw two TDs, which included a 60-yard bomb to Tyler Lockett and then a 68 bomb to Freddie Swain. Chris Carson, the running back, rushed for 31 yards, but still got two TDs. The Seahawks' D racked up three sacks, including a crucial from Bobby Wagner. On the Titans' side of things, Ryan Tannehill threw for no TDs, but had 347 yards and a 19-yard run. Sometimes we forget that Ryan Tannehill is a mobile quarterback. Speaking of being mobile, King Henry came and had a day. King Henry being um, Derrick Henry, he racked up 182 yards and three TDs. Fantasy owners were going nuts. This was essentially a winnable game for the Seahawks. 
at half, it was 9-24. to Russ threw a dime to lock it, and Chris Carson had a TD, but only scoring once in the second half and missing the extra point um, hurt them a bit right before overtime. It also didn't help that Henry was just racking up all these yards and TDs in that second half. And the Seattle Seahawks had no response to that. And just two um, stats that were brought up in this game. Russ had two pass pass TDs of 60-plus yards in the same game for the second time in his career. Derrick Henry, Henry's 60-yard TD was his 10th career rush TD for 50-plus yards. That's most in the NFL ever since he's been drafted. So looking at the Chiefs game, which is a really interesting game, the Chiefs lost to the Ravens 35-36. to Ravens had a bounce back half in the last half. They had 12 points in the fourth quarter alone, while surprisingly holding the Chiefs to zero points that quarter. Some of it had to do with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's fumble and also the Ravens controlling the clock with an eight-minute possession, that which, which led to a TD by Lamar Jackson. So that was very impactful. Some stats uh, from the Chiefs' side. Patrick Mahomes threw three TDs, one pick, and had 343 yards. Travis Kelsey, the tight end, had 109 yards with the TD, and so did Darrell Williams. Excuse me, Darrell Williams. On the Ravens' side of things, Lamar Jackson rushed for two TDs and threw one to Hollywood Brown, and Latavius Murray rushed for a TD as well. Overall, I thought both quarterbacks did pretty good. It was just most of the turnovers led to a score. Lamar had an ugly first half. He had two interceptions, but as I said, he bounced back and he finally beat Patrick Mahomes for the first time in his career. And did you know that this is Patrick Mahomes' first loss since 2016? He was in college at the time at Texas Tech. Travis Kelsey tied Tony Gonzalez for the most games with 100-plus reception yards, which is 26. And this is a tie for a franchise record with the Chiefs. Lamar Jackson has surpassed Michael Vick with most games with 100-plus passing yards and 100-plus rushing yards. That's eight games. That's crazy. So let's uh, transition over to the final recap for NFL Week 2, and that is the Lions versing, versus the Packers. So the Lions came to the Packers and lost 17-35. to the pressure was on Aaron Rodgers because of how bad he played against the Saints the previous week. It was pretty ugly. For the first half, um, I'll kind of just briefly overview that, and then I will kind of go over the last half. Okay, so for the first half, Jamal Williams came back to Green Bay, except this time he was a, he was a lion. Um, he was really happy to be back, though, um, and with the team that he thinks treats him very well. So there was really no hard feelings or any sort of like chip on his shoulder that Jamal Williams had. And he even helped drive the ball down in the first half. The first score was a TD pass from Jared Goff to Quintus Cephas, who is a, a Wisconsin Badger, by the way. And this was caused by a miscommunication between Kevin King and rookie Eric Stokes in the red zone. Um, but it's whatever. The Lions' run game wasn't much, but when they ran it, they were all over the Packers, as expected. The first Packers score was a shovel pass from Aaron Rodgers to Aaron Jones. The Packers were not really applying much pressure on Jared Goff, but when they did, it worked pretty well, I thought. Preston Smith got a sack on Goff in the second quarter, and you start to realize that T.J. Hawkinson, 
um, is probably Goff's favorite target. He had the most targets and only missed one of those nine targets. TJ Hawkinson got a TD on a mismatch with uh, Devondre um, Campbell. Aaron Jones scored again, and the offense and defense started to remind me of like the 2019 Packers. A lot of run thing, a lot of running going around, a lot of rushes, and the the run game kind of doing the work. Um, at half, the Packers were down 17 to 14. At that point, I wasn't too concerned, um, just for the fact that it was a close game, but I was concerned about how low of a scoring game it was, especially for the Packers. The second half came. And by third quarter, Aaron Jones led the team in receptions and carries. But missing David Bakhtiar was really hurting the Packers. Rodgers took two sacks on the left side that quarter, I believe. And I think he had three total sacks in the game. The 2019 Packers finally went back to sleep. And the 2020, 2021 Packers finally woke up after six quarters of bad football. Rodgers throws a 50-yard dime right into Devontae Adams' arms, even with tight coverage, and that's when it flipped right there. Followed by that was a 22-yard laser to Bobby Tanyan, and the Packers were finally up with a touchdown pass. Goff still had no pressure on him, but Rashawn Gary got him with a QB hit later in the game, which resulted in a fumble, actually. Eric Stokes also stepped up again. Oh, excuse me. Eric Stokes stepped up by stop by stopping Cephas on a fourth and one play. Jones got his third TD pass of the evening, and Packers were three for three in the red zone versus um, versus zero for two in the red zone on 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 the Saints game. And when they were in the red zones, they turned it over twice. By the fourth quarter, the Packers completely dominated the lines. But DeAndre Swift did have a nice hurdle over Kevin King, which is no surprise. I'm honestly not the biggest fan of Kevin King, and I'm sure some people can agree. But no surprise, Eric Stokes came up clutch again by stopping a final drive TD pass um, from the Lions. So I'm, I'm liking Eric Stokes. He's, he's doing pretty good. And the Packers are kind of back to where they should be. This is no surprise. Um, this is what the Packers should be. I just want to, I want to see how they perform when it's against a harder team because the Lions aren't very good. Um, but I was a little surprised. The Lions actually didn't do too bad. Jared Goff is not that bad of a fit. He's pretty cautious in my opinion. But that's just kind of his playing style. He doesn't want to turn the ball over. If the, if the Lions would have threw, excuse me, would have ran a little bit more, there probably would have been some, uh, um, some problems because – they racked up 108 yards, but only on but only on 19 carries. That's that's pretty good. Um, here are kind of the final stats for the game. Rodgers had four total TDs for 255 yards. TDs to Bobby Tanya and Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones had the most TDs. He had four total, but also Randall Cobb got three receptions. So, so that was good to see that Cobb was making a difference. And I talk with the Green Bay's running game. It's they ran it a lot in the first half, especially, but it just wasn't good. They had a total of 31 carries in the first half, and they weren't really getting much. I think they even had less total yards on on rushing um, than the um, the Detroit Lions did. 
Um, but I tell you, man, those two dimes that Rogers threw, that's what changed the game. Uh, it's unfortunate that my camera died. Uh, but, you know, I realized something. I don't, I don't really care anymore. I'm just going to keep rolling. I'll just use audio. I have a little visual. Um, hopefully you enjoyed the visuals. But that's all I have for the recaps from week two in NFL and week three of college football. So let's uh, kind of change things up. I decided I want to add another. I want to add a new segment. I like to call this segment Hot Takes with Mo. Mo is my coworker. He's so goofy. We talk all the time. Um, we argue a lot, too. Uh, I'm sure he's annoyed at me, but that's fine because I get annoyed at him. Um, so Mo will be my um, special guest appearance every episode if he wants to, which... If he doesn't, I'll make him do it. And the take will be the segment will be called Hot Takes with Mo, where he gives his take on things related to sports. Okay, so I present to everyone the first ever Hot Takes with Mo. Mo, take it away. Hot Takes with Mo. Derek Carr finishes top five in MVP voting this year. Thank you for joining Hot Takes with Mo. I hope you enjoyed that uh, first segment of Hot Takes with Mo. Uh, hopefully the next one will be just as good. But I actually do agree with his take, though. Let's talk with some predictions in college football and NFL that's coming up on this weekend. I'll do one prediction for college football being a game that I think I'll watch very closely. This is the Wisconsin Badgers versus... The, the, uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And the game will take place in Soldier Field in Chicago. I would go to the game, but my mom's in town. I don't think she'd be very happy if I went to a game instead of hang, instead of hang out with her. Maybe next time. So let's kind of go through what, to, what, I'm, what I see with both these teams so far. Wisco has great defense. They're ranked second in yards allowed. Their only weak spot is the passing game. Hopefully the secondary will clean up ever since that Penn State game, but I'm not confident in the offense yet. Graham Mertz, the quarterback, has to have a day. Running the ball 8 out of 10 times will not work against any team, essentially. The Notre Dame defense is not that great, but it's a balanced defense. The run defense is not as weak as the pass defense, so there's not really a weak spot there. Notre Dame had very close games um, against Florida State and Toledo, their defense allowed 27 points per game, though, which isn't really that impressive. But Jack Conan, he's been having a career high so far. He had, for through two games, maybe three, I had to check. But he's had eight TDs to only two interceptions. Which I think is a good start to a season, especially for Jack Conan, where he wasn't really shining as much at Wisconsin. Because that's, how, that's another thing. Jack Conan is playing his former team, so I bet this is a little tricky for him. And one thing I want to point out, I think Wisconsin winning this game would be a good case to show that they can have a chance of taking over the Big Ten West. Here's kind of why. Notre Dame has a greater offense than Iowa. I think everyone can agree on that. So containing that offense will be comforting for the Iowa-Wisconsin matchup in October. The reason why I mentioned Mertz and how he needs to have a day is because Iowa's Rundy is so hard. Running the ball every time will not weaken the Iowa run defense. Merce needs to show he can throw a ball against a ranked team because the pass D for Iowa is the weaker side of the defense, but it's still pretty good. Just ask Riley Moss or Matt Hankins from Iowa. Overall, my prediction this game will be this. 
Mertz is a knucklehead. Anyone that watches a single game Wisconsin football knows that. Mertz will throw a pick or cause a fumble, but he'll at least have a TD. The run game will step up, and we'll see a performance, hopefully from Jalen Berger and Ches Malusi. Jake Ferguson is Mertz's favorite target. I think he'll at least get five receptions. And as I mentioned, Jack Conan is playing his old team. And I think he will want to show his team that they made the wrong decision taking Mertz over Conan. But don't get me wrong. Don't take it don't take it the other way. I don't think he has any bad blood, but he does want to show that he is doing good with his new girlfriend. <laughs> I think he'll at least have two TDs. At least. And Kyron Williams from Notre Dame. He's a pretty good running back. I like watching him play. I say he'll at least have 50 yards. And how it will probably go in the last half is um, Notre Dame's defense will start to allow more points. They'll kind of get a little tired. And it might be decided by a final drive from the Wisco's run game. And then they'll the defense will have to step up and stop Notre Dame on their final drive. Notre Dame has not faced a defense like Wisconsin yet. And all of their games have been close. However, Notre Dame has played tougher offenses than Wisco, but I believe it will still be close just like the other games. And because I trust Wisco's defense more, I'm going to say they will win by one to three points max. So Wisco beating Notre Dame this Saturday. Okay, um, let's go to back. Let's go back to the NFL. Uh, I got predictions for two games. Yep, two games. I'll start with kind of the one that is going to be the kind of the most interesting to watch, in my opinion. The Buccaneers will play against the Los Angeles Rams in LA. The Bucks will not score nearly as much as the previous two games. They have held opponents to 24 points max. Granted, one of those teams was the Oh, excuse me. Um, the Lions have held opponents to 24 points max. Granted, one of those teams was the Bears, but that was that's been like that for the past couple of years. Um, but I think they'll have to be. I think the Rams will have to be elite on all sides of all sides of defense, all parts of it. They will have to constantly apply pressure on Brady because all he needs is one second to get the ball off out of his hands to throw it down 20, 20 plus yards. You have to have, then you have to have Ed, Evans, Godwin, and Gronk all contained at the same time. Well, the good news for the Rams is um, Antonio Brown just um, got COVID, so he'll be out for that game. So I assume Jalen Ramsey will be all over Evans or Godwin. My guess, at, my guess is Evans because he's very lengthy. Their running game. Um, being the Bucks is not as good as the passing game. Making making the Bucks run more would be a good idea for the Rams, but it doesn't mean the Rams are fully safe. They are ranked twentieth in run defense. Even though Brady is throwing pr- throwing deep pretty well, Matt Stafford, uh, their new quarterback, can throw it pretty deep too. He averages almost twelve yards per attempt, and when it is caught, it's fifteen yards. It's a pretty good deep ball. And I think he'll be a front runner for MVP with Tom Brady. Stafford is comparable to Dak, um, being the Cowboys played the Bucks, 
but I think he's slightly better to some to some degree. So he will apply some damage just like Dak did. Darrell Henderson is questionable at the moment, but even with him, it would be hard to stop one of the best run defenses being the Bucks defense run D. Stafford and Cooper Cup have to be at the top of their game on on that on Sunday. My prediction for the overall game is I firmly believe this matchup will start with the Bucks at first. They may even be be behind by a score at halftime. In the second second half, a few dicey calls will be made. The Bucks will itch closer to winning. Brady likes to make gamble throws with his new team, especially with a few seconds left in a quarter or first or a first half. And that's okay. Most of the times, it actually pays off pretty well. One of those gambles that he might try will be an interception, though, which will lead to a score. Out of all the turnovers the Rams have forced, only one has not converted into a point. I predict Brady will throw two picks in this game, and the Rams will turn those picks into 10 total points. Overall, I predict the Rams will lose by a field goal. The only way I could see, only way I could see them win if it's like a blowout game by the third quarter is, is getting um, you know, destroyed. He likes to pout. That's just him, dude. He likes to pout and get mad because he's losing. And usually he does that. He tries to play mad, make wild throws. Most times it doesn't change, change the momentum of the game. The only exception I can think of was the Super Bowl win against the Falcons, but the Pats defense also stepped up with him. So my prediction is the Bucks will beat the Rams by a single field goal. Next is the Eagles at Cowboys. This will be an interesting game because it is a, a division rivalry game. So Eagles are going to Dallas as underdogs against the Cowboys. Dak Prescott came back to the league right where he left off. Through two games, he has six in total yards. In the first game, the Cowboys only rushed for 60 yards. Last game, they rushed for 198 thanks to Tony Pollard and Zeke. They both gathered a TD that game and so far. Excuse me. They both gathered, gathered a TD so far in the season. Pollard racked up 109 yards last Sunday, so he's, a, he's definitely a threat for the run game. The Cowboys' passing game is the most impressive, in my opinion. Right now, you got Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb that are both top five in receptions, which is why Dak has thrown the ball 85 times so far this season. The Cowboys' defense is a different story, though. The Cowboys' D is ranked eighth in the Cowboys D is eighth in run defense, but 31st in pass defense. That's second to worst. Bucks and the Chargers run game is not that impressive to me. So when they go up against like the Panthers or the Vikings, it might be a different story for the Cowboys run defense. But if you throw against the Cowboys, it could get ugly. The Eagles' strongest trait is their defense. They have held the Falcons to six points and a good forty and a good 49ers team to only 17. Their passing defense is the opposite of the Cowboys, though. They are ranked third in that category and only allowed one pass TD so far. And that's actually hard to do, especially against the Falcons. Their run defense is okay. It's middle tier, but they've also only allowed one TD. The Eagles' pass game is mediocre along with the run game. Jalen Hurts is a second-year quarterback. He's been good. He's had three pass t- three passing TDs against the Falcons and a rush TD against the 49ers. He has wheels, and he can run when needed. He has some targets, but not the greatest one, greatest ones. 
Right now, he has Jalen Rager, Devonta Smith, and Dallas Goder. I think Devonta Smith is the best of all three, but Dallas is a good tight end and has averaged 11 yards per reception. So we'll see how the Cowboys hold him um, down. Outside of Hurts, the Eagles have Miles Sanders, who's racked up 129 rushing yards, but I think he's due for a TD. I think this team's offense is not that great right now. It's not very efficient at the moment. Overall, I think Dallas will have a passing game that will overthrow the Eagles' great pass defense, but Dak will not throw as well as he against the Bucks. I think he'll get at least two TDs. I do think Zeke and Pollard will have a good showing. I've, I'm going to predict that one of them will score a TD. I think Jalen Hurts will have a season high, at least the same amount of TDs as Zach as Dak, including a rush TD. And the head coach, uh, Nick Sirianni, I think he's a smart guy, but I don't think he'll be ready for an offensive team like Dallas. I predict Dallas will win by seven points. Now that we've, oh yeah, before we uh, cut off on the NFL, I'd like to finish off the NFL segment with a random stat of the week. And here it is. Julio Jones had his 59th career game with 100 reception yards. That's tying Marvin Harrison for third in NFL history. Only Jerry Rice and Randy Moss have had more. See, this is why I always say that Julio Jones is the man, dude. That guy's unbelievable. He's probably one of my favorite receivers I've seen in this game. Let's transition over to uh, NBA basketball now that we finish with football. Okay, so here's a trending topic. Ben Simmons, who is under contract for more than four seasons with the Philadelphia 76ers, wants to be traded out. The 76ers would also like to trade him. He said he would not report to training camp next week. Ben Simmons has had underwhelming and questionable performances the past couple seasons. The most noble one was the wide-open dunk that ended up being a questionable pass to Matisse um, Tybal in the Eastern Semi-Conference Finals. And the fact that he has not contributed any points in big-time moments, especially in the fourth quarter. So the question is, like, if both parties agree on a trade, why hasn't it happened? To me, the problem is the 76ers don't know how valuable Ben Simmons really is. On paper, he seems valuable. He was Rookie of the Year and a three-time All-Star. But he has only been consistently the same. There hasn't really been a step up since that great rookie year. He's always just kind of been the same kind of guy and hasn't worked on his jump shot. And it's been how many years since it's been brought up. So that's another thing that's kind of alarming. Also, the 76ers are waiting for the right opportunity. They're waiting for a player like Dame or Bradley Beal to be available. It will require Simmons, another player, and lots of picks for something like that to happen. But I think what, but I think what will happen is uh, President Dar Mori, he isn't afraid of awkward situations. He will continue to wait, and Ben Simmons will still sit out. Because uh, Simmons has expressed his frustrations pretty openly and is willing to take the fines. However, this could get messy because there are not many teams that are interested in Simmons. So getting rid of him would actually result in getting rid of another good player and some first-round picks. So we will see what happens. Um, it's unfortunate for Ben Simmons. I really liked him his rookie year. I really wanted him to um, progress, but it just didn't work out for him. Maybe it's just a fit. 
maybe he has to go to a team that kind of use him a little differently. But he's, regardless, he still has to work on his jump shot. It's trash. It's garbage. <laughs> but I'm rooting for him, though. That's all I really have for today's episode. I do want to talk about this video that came out. So Conor McGregor, the MMA fighter, he throws the first pitch at a Chicago Cubs game, and it was bad. Like, so bad, it just went straight to the right. I'm going to play it right now. I'm going to, I want to play this video and watch, and watch it. This is a pretty good view of it. Yeah, I don't know what he was aiming at, honestly, dude. Like, it went, like, straight into the wall. And he kind of just walks it off, which he should. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he said it was a little inaccurate. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Conor McGregor. I think he's an asshole. Yeah, uh, he likes to push people's buttons and then get his ass beat. Um, but I liked how he had a pretty positive attitude about it. He didn't let it. He didn't let it get to him. I mean, like end of the day, he's just there to have fun. But apparently, um, from a coworker, he sung the seventh inning stretch where you know you sing the take me out to the ballpark game, and he just sounded horrendous. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I have a feeling because he has an Irish accent that. Um, Maybe when he sings this American song, it just doesn't uh, mesh well. Um, but yeah, I. But here's the thing: even though Conor McGregor's um, pitch wasn't that great, there's one person who had a way worse pitch than him, and that was Fifty Cent. See, I'll pl I'll play that I'll play that one right there. Fifty Cent first pitch. Um, so Fifty Cent was at a Mets game. He's at the mound. Oh, shit, I skipped it. Okay, here it is. Oh, my gosh. He's left-handed, and the ball went completely to the right. I mean, to the left. So, like, yeah, Con I'll give Conor McGregor some props because when he threw it, at least went the direction he was throwing it, his arm was throwing towards. But 50 cent, like, when he threw it, it's almost like the ball slipped out of his hand. And... It wasn't even any power. Like, even if it went straight, it wouldn't even reach the batter's box. So that was um, pretty uh, fun to watch. But I still think um, uh, George Bush had one of the greatest uh, first pitches ever. It was beautiful. Um, That's all I really have today. It's been a, it's been a nice little episode back. I'm glad I just kind of keep rolling through rather than worry about my camera because I would have been doing this for at least an hour trying to turn my camera back on and then cooling it down and trying to speed up the the segments but this is a good this is a good first up i like this format this is a good format for the football season i want to keep doing it um you know just recaps of college football recaps of nfl football um uh a hot take with mo and then predictions for the upcoming games for college and NFL and then just some non some non football stuff because you know this is a sports podcast it's not a football podcast and if I have some time I'll get I'll get back to having some non um, sports related um, content the Conor McGregor throw was kind of non sports related but he was throwing a baseball so it was 
but yeah, I definitely like this format. I want to kind of stick with it and I'll even do it with my guest speak, my guest uh, podcast, my guest, uh, on the show, but I'll still keep it fun and entertaining. So thanks again, everyone for watching. I appreciate it. Once again, thank you for sticking around for this one year. I want to keep doing this, do it for another year and we'll see what happens. So like I said, thank you for watching. Make sure to like subscribe and share this video with a friend. Every little bit helps. Everyone take care. I will see you guys in the next episode.